0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, if you wanna turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, uh, you have a handout in your bulletin. Uh, You don't need to get it out. I just wanna reference it for a moment. We've had it in there for the last few weeks. This is the second week of Summer Advance. We're calling it Rediscovering Normal Christianity. So inside the booklet, uh, again, you can see it after church, uh, we have still sign-ups here. They mentioned the table for Washington Estates, but you're more than welcome just to use this tear-off in the booklet. Uh, there is uh, an, still an opportunity to sign up for VBS. Again, we thank you so much for your commitment to this week coming up, June 19th. We've had a lot of sign-ups, but uh, we could always use more help. And then Washington Estates, we're still looking to fill a lot of slots there for anything from cleaning up to painting, floor, uh, flooring removal, construction, prayer walks. And then, of course, the festival that night. Uh, We started our first week of reading. If you did not join us yet, just jump right in. Uh, You don't have to worry about catching up. You can catch up later. Just join us tomorrow, uh, June 12th, with Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 23 through 37. You'll see that reading plan on the back of the booklet. Pastor John mentioned it to the graduates last week. We talked about, and then Pastor John's going through it with the the youth, the book of Acts. Uh, The children's ministry and super church are going through the book of Acts Last week, we talked about receiving power, how it's normal for a Christian to receive power. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the special Christians. You have the special badge. It's God's will for every believer in Jesus Christ to be endowed with power for the purpose of being his witness. So no one's excluded. There are no exceptions. It's his will uh, to receive power. Now today, I want to focus on another reality in the uh, normal Christian life, and I believe that it's normal for believers to live in true community. Now, when you read Acts chapter 1 and you read Acts chapter 2, it's all about preparation for power, right? You see thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ when Peter uh, stands up and preaches the first message. So I know, uh, you know a lot of Christians will want to say, power and power evangelism, and go out and you'll see, you know, let's have these, these huge crusades, and I'm for that. I like those things. And you see thousands of people on the very first day the New Testament church's birth come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I love the verses where we're going to camp out today that directly follow that. So if you're looking in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read it in just a moment. If you look uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, so the fire of God falls on them, right? The believers, there's about 120 in the upper room, we call it. And they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now they have power. There's there's thousands upon thousands of Jews in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost. They hear them speaking in in their own native language. They don't understand how they know that. Peter steps up, explains it to them, preaches a Holy Spirit-led, Holy Spirit-powerful message to them. Then it says in verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. How many of you know that's a good church service right there? 3,000 people, right, coming and saying, what in the world is going on? They hear the, 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 the sound of a, you know, a howling wind. 3,000 of them come into the kingdom that day. So you would think that it would continue on to say they had a revival services every night and thousands upon thousands more, and they went out and they did it. You know what they go to right next? community, and relationship. I love the tension that that holds in Scripture because you have people that will just say, we just want power and we want to see the glory of God. We want to see the fire of God. Somebody else is like, well, I just want relationships. And I want to feel safe and I want to be you know, friends. It's both. It's both and. God actually intends for the, his power through the Holy Spirit to flow through you and he actually intends for you to be in good, healthy, transparent relationship with each other. So when 3,000 people are coming out of all of the rules and the regulations of Judaism, how many of you know they need a friend to explain this to? They need somebody now to explain what Jesus did, how he's transforming their life. He can o- they can open up the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet and actually look at God's grace and all of the prophets that were pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. How many of you know when somebody gets delivered, right? They're possessed either by a demon or they're struggling with depression and they see deliverance. They need a friend to now walk through a new way of life with them. So though we want to see lives transformed, we want to see the power of God flow through our lives, we also want to see true community lived out in this local church family. We've been saying it for about a year and a half, welcome home. We actually want to live that out. Where if somebody feels lonely, they can actually feel at home here. Not at home in this room, at home as a part of the family of God at Central. That takes every single one of us to have intentional action to create this community. A definition of community. I looked it up, you'll see the second one. The first one says it's a group of people living in the same place or having a similar uh, characteristic or character, yeah, characteristic in common. We don't all live in the same place. So the second definition says, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. See, I don't want us to get confused when we say that we, I believe it's normal for believers to live in true community with one another. I don't wanna get confused about, well, I don't live in that person's neighborhood. Well, I live a half hour away, so I can't live in community. No, community is the relationship that we have with one another. I said this before, but you might not know this. In this room, or on a, on, oh, I will say over a month's period of time, people who call Central their home that attend here represent 38 different zip codes. I didn't even know there were 38 zip codes in Washington County. I'm sure some of these are Allegheny as well. 38 zip codes are represented here. So the Lord obviously has this as a regional church, and he intends it to have a regional impact, but I believe it starts here with us living in community. In fact, you see it in the early church, right? You see it in Jesus's life, how he lived it with the disciples. You see the early church, how they lived with one another. Now they were in close proximity, right? It says that they went to the temple together every day. So obviously they weren't all riding around in chariots. They didn't have motorcycles. There weren't cars. Right? Okay. That just wasn't funny or you guys are asleep. It's fine. They're obviously living close together. So they had, that, they had the proximity, but they also had the relationship. But I want you to note something. When persecution breaks out in a few chapters, and we're going to talk about it in the upcoming weeks, there's no, there's no, no knowledge in the book of Acts that they lost that community, which means now there's persecution, now the church is spread out, and in each city they had elements of true community. Right? So we want to start here in our church body, and I believe the Lord's gonna bring us into true community with other congregations that are like-minded in the future years. So we can start to see the church of Washington County living in true community. But this, this cannot just be theology. Like we can't just read it and say amen and then go home and say, Yeah, I'm living in true community all by myself. Right? Like we we not just the pastors here, every single one of us who call Central your home. We have to be active about this, or it's not going to happen. You want to see revival? We want to see transformation? We want to see God spread out over Washington and neighboring counties, and then our state and our nation? We need to be willing to be in true relationship with one another so we can disciple people once they come to faith. So, I want to read two portions of scripture to you, and then I'm just going to hit on each. Uh, I'm just going to hit on a phrase here for a few minutes each. If you have your Bibles open, if not, it should be up here on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. There's a lot of different versions of the Bible, so it might sound a little bit differently if you have your own Bible open. Starting at verse 42 of 242. This is after 3,000 people now, born again. It says, "All all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. Now, that's kind of weird. There's 3,000 of them, right? So it wasn't just like a little room here. But it says they all met together in one place and shared everything they had. So obviously, they weren't all interacting with each other, but they had smaller pods, smaller families, smaller neighborhoods of believers that would interact together, it says, uh, they sold their possessions, verse 45. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. <clears throat> and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now you could say, well, this is just when this happens and then you know, they probably did, they probably loosened up a little bit well, if you look over in Acts chapter four, just to show you how it continues, even as the years go on, in Acts chapter four, starting at verse 32, if you just flip your page, you'll be there. <clears throat> it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Does that mean they agreed on everything? Everything. No, they didn't have to agree on everything. They didn't have to be best friends with everybody. I'm sure some of them didn't really care for the personalities of other people. But it says they chose, right, to be united in heart and mind. It says they felt what they owned was not their own. So they they shared everything they had. I mean, just look at that, practically speaking. Your car broke down. Okay, I'll pray for you for a miracle in your car. Or are you gonna like share your car? right, there's two differences, (laughs) You know somebody's in need, you pray for their need, or you take care of their need. Oh, that person's really lonely. Let me pray the Lord sends somebody into their life, and he's like, <clears throat> <laughs> maybe you should just have them over for dinner tonight. Really, like probably 60% of you, 70% of you have seen somebody in here that you could just sense. Maybe they're disconnected a little bit. Maybe they're unattached. Maybe they're a little bit lonely. How about before you leave these walls say you just say, hey, can you, come over, can you come over for lunch today? You want to go out for lunch today? Who knows what type of a relationship will start? It says here in verse 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus <clears throat> uh, and God's great blessing was upon them. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Now, in other translations, it says on occasion, So those selling their land, selling their possession, that wasn't, you don't want to take that out of context. That wasn't like a daily thing where there was just people selling their houses every day. It was on occasion, as they knew that there was a a desperate need, they would do that. So what I want to do, I just want to get super practical with you today. I want to go through some of these phrases. Because we're on a reading plan, you read those verses in like 30 seconds or less, right? Back in Acts chapter two is where I want to camp out. And it's so easy to read through those things. But if you just stop, And say, wow, God, at the beginning of the church, when it was first birth, 3,000 people come into the family of God, and then something happens here, right? So as you're reading through these things, it says they devoted themselves, and now you can actually start to pause at each comma that's given here and actually ask the Lord, how does this help build community? How would this help build community within church? How would this help? How would that assist us? And the Lord will give you revelation. Of how they did it. So the first phrase here is all the believers devoted themselves. That word devoted means to stay, to persist, to remain with, to be loyal to. I believe this takes intentionality. And I am not talking about being devoted to church attendance. We've already said we want you in the house of the Lord every single Sunday while you're in town, right? We want you here. We want you to be committed to worship. We want you to be committed to hearing the uh, the Lord's word being preached. So we do want you here. That's besides the point. When they're saying they devoted themselves to each other, it was not devoting themselves to entering into a building. They devoted themselves to relationship. They stuck by one another. They were loyal to each other. So even when they disagreed with one another, they still know they were a part of the same family of God and they stuck together. That takes intentionality, doesn't it? The next phrase here, it says they devoted themselves, or if you, if you pull that word devoted themselves into each one of these phrases. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I believe that a true community is always learning, always growing, always being stretched by God's word. So just like I believe it's normal, For Christians to receive power to be Jesus' witness, I believe that it's normal for us to live in true community. I also believe that it's normal to learn something new every day from God's word. You may have read through the Bible 20 times over your life. Open it up fresh every single day. Come to your small group. Come on Wednesday nights. Come on Sunday mornings with a fresh mindset If I'm going to be devoted to the teaching of God's word to receive what he has for me today. I want you to see this. Hundreds of people looking at one person teaching doesn't necessarily lend itself to community. However, if we have hundreds of people looking into God's word every day, and each one of us are devoted to receiving from that, and each one of us have something fresh on our minds, Fresh in our hearts. So when you begin to talk to one another, I'm facing this problem. Wait a minute. God just showed me in the word something here. Or somebody asks you a question that's just challenging them theology. You have an answer for them. You guys could seek the Lord's word together. Do you see now how devoting yourself to the teaching of God's word can actually unite us in community? Right, when we're not growing, then we get stagnant. And somebody comes up to you, and like we're having all these problems. And you're like, I'll pray for you. But if we're filled with this, And we know what promises are found in this. You'll be looking forward to talking to somebody with a problem because you'll know that God has sent the answer with you. It's a big difference. It's not coming to listen to me talk. It's about learning and receiving from God's word and then carrying that out to live in true community with other believers. Next phrase here says they were devoted to fellowship. If you've been in the church long enough, you've heard that that word is called koinonia, koinonia in the original language. What it means is it's the act of sharing in the privileges of an intimate association or group. So fellowship connection, fellowship's a connection based on what is common to us, right? So the first thing you do when you give your life to Jesus is you come into fellowship with God, right? Jesus is the doorway to heaven. Jesus is the doorway to a relationship with God. So the first thing you do, you come into a rich satisfying intimate relationship or fellowship with God. And then you start looking around, and you say, wait a minute, these folks are now my family members. Now they're my brothers or sisters in Christ. So what happens again is personalities and differences, they go out the window now. We're family, right? Do you have a choice of what personality your brother or your sister has in your house? Now, do you always get along with your brother or sister in your house? or your kids, your parents, whatever it is. No, your family, so you have to choose to stick together. That's what the fellowship of the believers were. They chose to enter into meaningful relationship so that even in the midst of severe uh, disappointment at times and disagreement, they chose to stick together into fellowship. This is, I think this verse is key. It's not up there. You can write it down. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. I believe that this is a, a, a turning point in how you can look at somebody else in this church family. There are two ways that you can regard somebody. You can regard them after the flesh or after the spirit. After the flesh means you look at their mistakes, you look at who they are, you look at all their quirks, you look at all the things that irritate you about them, and you're like, I'm not inviting them out to lunch. I'm sorry. Or you could also... Look after them in the spirit, where you say, God, show me their potential in Christ. Show me a promise that you have over them. Show me where you're taking them in life. And then we start to see future prophets, future apostles, future evangelists, future teachers, future missionaries, right? Future doctors, future teachers, future whatever the Lord wants to do in their life. And then you start to speak to them and interact with them in that way. That will create true fellowship. But we have to do that with one another. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16, it says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So we can actually take an intentional approach to say, I'm not going to look at who they're not. I'm going to look at who they are in Christ and who they will be in Christ. And then we start to speak life into people. Then gossip seems to just be boring after that. Because you are concerned with fanning the flame in someone else's life. Now, just a side note on, on fellowship. I know some of you, you might, you might be introverted, right? So you could come into church easily, sit by yourself. You're fine with that. I'm not pointing you out. And you could slide back out without talking to anybody. I just want to speak to you. No matter how introverted you might be, I do believe it is absolutely the will of God for you still to be in community with other believers, you can be quiet. You could just have a small, a small circle of friends, but I do believe he wants you there. So I'm asking you, if you've, if you've come for two, three years, whatever, by yourself and you haven't met with anybody, maybe come on Wednesday night. There were 70, 74 people here this past Wednesday, which is a great crowd for a Wednesday night. Maybe just come in and say, hi, I'm Joe. I've been going here for three years. I don't know a lot of people, so I figured I'd introduce myself to you. Like just start a conversation with somebody. Now, those of you who are really connected on the other side, those of you that you have tight friends here, and you go out socially, and you hang out you're in a your relationship, I want you to take an opportunity to meet people, like y'all sit in the same section pretty much every week, so you know who usually sits by themselves. You know who might be disconnected a little bit or just a little bit quiet. You don't have to like jump on them in a relationship, but introduce yourself to them, right? Just reach out to them and start a conversation. I want everybody to know somebody else and to be known in this church family or we don't have a chance at true community. Just a few weeks ago, this is completely practical, uh, I was at a a conference and one of the other pastors said that he encourages uh, his church to use the Ford method. You'll see it up here. Like some people are so nervous on how to start a conversation. What do I do? What do I ask? So he simply says, just keep Ford in your mind where you can either ask them about their family. Are you married? Do you have kids? Are you originally from the area? Occupation? What do you do for a living? Like, do you enjoy it? Recreation, right? What do they like to do to relax? Their dreams. Talk about where you feel like God's taking them and so on. It seems so practical. I just want to get like real with you guys. We want you to start conversations with one another so it stops being about like all y'all facing one way. And then you can actually face each other. Do you ever picture like Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit all just facing one way, not talking to each other? Or like during welcome and greet every Sunday morning, they shake each other's hand and they sit down. No, not at all. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are in true community. Like it's a round table where they're conversing. Let us make man in our image. They actually had a conversation about this before they created man. It was important enough for them to be on the same page. Right? And then Jesus says, what? Let them be one as you and I are one. So heaven's the perfect picture of family. He wants to superimpose that here on this church family. Next phrase. It says, devoted to sharing in meals. And then the New Living Translation breaks out the explanation of including the Lord's Supper. Now check out Jesus' life. He shared meals with sinners at parties with tax collectors. He shared a meal with Zacchaeus, the day that Zacchaeus repented and found salvation. He shared a meal with his disciples the night before he was crucified. He shared another meal with his disciples the day he restored Peter. I believe meals equals relationships. It's quite simple. If you have a meal with your family, if, you, if you're married and you have kids and you're around the table each and every night, it's impossible to not grow in a relationship, right? We have these high schoolers, you guys hang out probably over food, right? You eat a lot of food together and talk and hang out that way. It's how relationships are built. So I said it even like today. Sometimes it might be awkward just to say, like, start a conversation. Invite another family out to lunch. Have a meal with them. Just ask them about their life. Get to know each other. If I can suggest one thing to married couples, suggest one thing to friends, suggest one thing to parents. During mealtime, will you put the phones away so there's no distraction? It's so easy, like if conversation breaks, just to pull a thing back out and check your email, check your Facebook post, put it away. Social media and phones, they're perfectly fine at the appropriate time. But even like spouses, I remember my wife, Sharice and I went out for uh, a date, and like the entire time, the man and the woman are on their phones. They're at a really nice restaurant. They're not talking at all they're just sitting there on their phones together. Put the phones away and and Isabella knows we'll pull out like the phone if they ask us like a cool history question or something, we'll we'll pull it up and let Google answer the question for us. But other than that, just let, let relationships build around meals. Next phrase, devoted to prayer. Like the simple implication is God's not gonna move if we don't pray. We need to be a praying body. We need to be praying individuals and prayer in faith will move the hand of God according to his will. But you can also ask yourself, well, how does prayer help build community? Well, think about this. For the last few years, we've been meeting, the pastors have been meeting in the prayer room. So, what happens when you hear somebody pray over and over and over again out loud? You begin to hear their heart, you begin to hear their passion, you begin to hear what God has placed in their life to pursue through intercession and prayer. So this is my encouragement in your own houses. And then as you intentionally build a friendship with somebody else from the church is pray out loud together. So it's not just about you surrendering yourself to the Lord through prayer. It's about a community of believers praying out loud so that we actually learn one another's heart. And when we do that, we can start seeing them after the spirit and no longer after worldly. You guys with me? Does that make sense? It's so practical, yet so spiritual. We're calling out to our divine Father in heaven, and yet we get the opportunity to listen to brothers and sisters in the Lord cry out to God, and we get to know their hearts and their passions. In uh, verse 43, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. I love all of the relational steps come. And then it says here, a deep sense of awe. That's a reverence. It's a holy fear of who God is. So not only is it the power flowing, but it's also the relationship that, wow, men and women could be that close living in true community. God, you are an amazing God. We usually think of the awe and the wonder when the presence of God falls and somebody gets healed or saved, right? But it's actually even in the midst of relationships that these folks were in awe. That next phrase says, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I believe true community is the breeding ground for the supernatural. I believe that it gives us an opportunity to know a few other people in the church that we can take risks with, that we can pray with. If, the Lord, if you feel like the Lord's given you a word for them, you go up to them and you're already in relationship, and let's say you miss it, like you're totally off, then somebody's like not trying to stone you, right? Because you're in relationship with them. Jesus actually sent them out in twos, in pairs, to minister with one another in relationship. So I believe as we see the supernatural begin to grow, it's important that we have the true community, that we have this relationship together so we can walk this thing out. Verse 44 and 45, it says that they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. Now, if you look at this early on, there are thousands of believers. By the time we get to chapter six, they start to organize a ministry to help the uh, widows who are in need. It also says in Acts chapter four that they laid the, the money down at the apostles' feet because they know who was in need. I've been so blessed over the years to have multiple families. Like they'll, they'll come up to me maybe during a holiday or Christmas time and they'll have hundreds of dollars within an envelope. They'll say, will you please just give this to a family in need? So it's not realistic that you know everybody, but we do have a benevolence ministry here where we, do, we are in the lives of people and we know who are in need. I would love for every local church to be able to say what Acts 4.34 says. There, was, there were no needy people among them. Wow, like there were believers back then that were willing to sell their property just to help a brother and sister in need that they didn't even know. Think about that. If they sold the property and they knew the person they could have given them the money. They brought it back to what their local church would have been. But how cool would that be if you were actually in relationship with enough people from Central, and when you knew they had a need, you didn't say, hey, go to the church and talk to Pastor Don in the benevolence ministry. How about you go back home and you start praying, God, how can I help meet their need? Am I the answer to their prayer? How cool would that be if we, have, if we had hundreds of groups of relationships that were flowing in that way? It says in verse 46 and 47, they met in the temple together. They met in their homes regularly. They shared meals with great joy. And then it says they praised God, enjoying the goodwill. That word means the favor of all people. So they live life together. And they, I guarantee they didn't just see the best of everybody, right? We give each other 90 minutes a week. It's so easy to smile coming in this foyer. Things are great, Yeah right? How many times do you think when they're walking to the temple, two of the kids, they start fighting, and they're calling each other names. You see the parent, you know, they they would have seen different parenting styles, different marriage styles, see how singles do life together. All this stuff, they were in each other's lives, which means they saw the best of each other, and they saw the worst of each other, and yet they remain devoted to one another. It's actually possible, guys. It's possible to stop just looking in one direction and start looking at each other and just meet another family or another individual. It's possible to be in a close enough relationship to see true community form. Worship team, you can come up with this time. I love how this results. At the end of chapter two, it says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now you might say, wait a minute, if they were that close in a relationship, weren't they like an exclusive country club? Weren't they like a little club that you couldn't join? Absolutely not. Last week I said I believe that non-believers are attracted to believers when they're operating in true power. Same holds true here. I believe it's normal for non-believers to be attracted to believers who are living in true community. People who don't know Jesus have a void in their heart. There's loneliness in there somewhere. when they see people living in healthy relationship with one another, they want to be a part of it. So yes, the apostles continued to preach. Yes, there were signs and wonders. But in the context of these verses, there was community, 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 community. And in that context, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved every single day. You know what that proves to me? is that Satan has lied to many people over the years to say you can't be in relationship with others in a big church. We've had several people leave over the years, not many, but several people saying, this this church is too big, I can't meet anybody in it. Okay, we're far from 3,000 people. And they got this down. If Jesus was worried about the size of the church and how it would affect relationships, he would have kept the day of Pentecost at about 80 people. Because that's what statistics will say. A pastor can pastor about 80 people effectively. But Jesus actually trusted brand new believers, 3,000 of them, to interact with the 12 apostles, to come into true community, and so much that they would represent Christ to other people, that more and more people. In fact, you'll see just in a few other chapters, it goes up to 5,000 people. So Jesus is saying, I'm okay with the church being extremely large. In fact, I want everybody to get saved. And within that, there are still pockets of true community within each local church. So think about this. We have a church picnic August 20th. Let's say 30 people showed up. You could probably think of the four to eight people you would choose to sit next to, right? So let's say 300 people show up. Guess who you're gonna sit with? The same four to eight people that you feel safe with. So let's say 3,000 were there. Are you getting nervous now? No, it's just gonna take you longer to find your four to eight people. (laughs) 30,000 people, right? You text them, use an app, a geo code to find where they are. Like at the end of the day, I understand it's not realistic for like section A and section D to become best friends because y'all don't sit next to each other. You leave out different doors. But what, like seriously, how practical is this? But how spiritual is it that you would intentionally enter into relationship with four to eight people that are outside of your family or if you're single, just four to eight people that you can look forward to living within true community because that small community and another and another and another, they will form, and some people call them cliques. I'm not talking about unhealthy, right? We still need to, be remain, we need to remain open to other people. I want healthy relationships that when somebody new, somebody lonely, somebody without joy comes into this place, this location, and they see welcome home on the screen, they'll actually see it in our lives. And then there'll be evidence because when they're walking out of this building, they'll be invited into true community by someone else. Now, A lot of times churches use a message like this for small groups. Not now you could sign up for something. No, I don't want to deceive us. I don't want you to think because you go into a room over there for 12 straight weeks that you're in relationship. We can do this. And then out of those relationships, we can build groups around that. And then we can study curriculum. Then we can disciple. But we actually trust you enough to be in relationship with each other, to make a difference in each other's lives, to do what God's calling us to do. I just want you to bow your head before we go into a time of communion. And I simply just wanna ask if there is anyone here today that knows. I said it earlier that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do have a void in your heart. The Bible says that the eternity is in the heart of every person. So there is a nudging. There There is a knowledge within you that there is a higher being. His name's God. There's one true God. His son is Jesus. Jesus came and died for your sins so you could be forgiven. You could be right with God. And you can have a home in heaven for all of eternity. But you can also have a home right here in this church or if you're not from this area, in another local church where you can be welcomed into the family of God. So I just simply ask the question today, if there's anyone in this room that knows they have not made it right with God, their life right with God, they know that Jesus isn't their savior and you want to make Jesus your savior today, you want to just surrender your life to him And you want to be forgiven of your sins. Is there anyone in the room today? If there is, you can just raise your hand and look at me so I can acknowledge you. And then we'll pray with you after. We'll have somebody come alongside you. Just take your first steps with Jesus. Anyone in the room at all that wants to give their life to Jesus for the first time? I just want to ask a second question here. If you have felt like you have either fallen away from God or you felt like you've just alienated yourself in this family for whatever reason. And I'm not, again, I'm not gonna call you out or anything. I, just, I do just wanna pray for you. If you feel like it, today's the day to just get right with God again, you've just fallen, fallen away or you've just isolated yourself and you just want me to pray with you. If you could just raise your hand to me again. Okay, see some hands, yeah. Yeah, Father, we do just pray right now for anyone who feels lonely isolated, divided, set apart, God. We just pray, Father, that you do something supernatural. Father, that you would give us eyes to see each other after the Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see potential in each other. You give us eyes to see who's lonely, who's separated, who's detached, who can we start a conversation with, who can we mirror with the true community that is in the book of Acts. Father, we pray that this church family, would operate in excellence so that when we say welcome home on the screen, we would say welcome home with our lives and we would see this community being born here. Father, we trust you to send us increase in people who are being saved and people whose lives are being transformed by the power of God, that we would bring them then into the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.